Welcome to Lifehouse Weekly Sermon Podcast. David Thomas this week began his five-part series on finding the right discipleship environment. It's a much-needed study that all Christian believers must put themselves and their church environment through. Toward the end of the sermon, David reads from a list he received from a pastor friend of his in South Africa called Characteristics of Breakthrough Believers. Now, if you're interested in obtaining a copy of this list, and sort of reading through it as David reads it on the podcast, head over to www.life-house.net forward slash breakthroughbelievers.pdf. For more Lifehouse resources, just head over to www.life-house.net. Thanks for listening. Here's David. All right, so I'm going to be talking about discipleship. So this five-part series is about Discipleship 101. This is the basics of discipleship. And this particular message that I'm going to be sharing with you today is how do you actually find an environment for a disciple? So it's finding the discipleship environment. Now go figure this out. Go figure this out. Most church leaders that I personally know and speak to, all of them want to raise up a discipleship environment. Most church members that I speak to, they also want to be in a discipleship environment. Now, why then is this such an impossible task? Why is it that I see church leaders struggling? Why is it that I see members struggling, bleeding and being battered when they try to find a discipleship environment in which they can thrive in? To create a space where a disciple can be born, where a disciple can be trained, where a disciple can be released, is so difficult. Well, the word seems to be as, 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 as the wrong word. It is difficult. And why is that? All right, if you're a church leader and you walk into a church and you begin to create an environment of discipleship, you are going to encounter difficulties And I say that statement based on my personal experience. You will begin to fight. And you will have a fight on your hands as you begin redefining yourself according to what that environment is creating. You will begin to redefine yourself as applying that concept, an equipper and a discipler, to prepare God's people for works of service. You will continue to fight with what you believe a disciple is. You will continue to fight with what you believe a disciple should be. You will continue to to fight when you have to actually begin to send disciples out. It just doesn't end. And once you begin to understand what you are, once you begin to understand your mission, once you begin to understand your call in Christ, that's when your fight really begins. So what is this environment? Now, here's my definition of a disciple environment. It's very simple. Not simplistic, it's just very simple. This is it. A discipleship environment is an environment where you are able to be a disciple and to make disciples. That's it. A discipleship environment is an environment where you are able to be a disciple and make disciples. That environment is opposed by people who just don't want it. 
by people who don't want to operate in it. That environment is opposed by demonic forces of darkness because if there's one thing that they fear is one disciple connecting to another disciple and creating an environment of discipleship. I tell you what, I see this so often where a Christian gets awakened by the Holy Spirit through attending a conference, through attending a seminar, through attending a camp, and they go back into their environment and they stand up and they say, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to do this. And then they get blocked, they get treated with disdain, they get patronized, they get patted on the head, they get sidelined. You heard stories like that? If you, a church member, wants to find that kind of a discipleship, you need to get in with someone who wants to create that kind of environment. And if you find one, if you find that kind of a discipleship environment, look after it. Because it took a lot of effort to get there. Now, listen to this. A discipleship environment is tough. It's a tough environment but it's highly rewarding and it's highly invigorating. So be careful when you find it. A good way to learn about how to enter into a discipleship environment is to go and download my sermon series on how to avoid hurts and offenses in the church. It's a good one. In this introduction, I've got three illustrations that I'm gonna share with you. And these three illustrations, you need to get into yourself, you need to meditate on them because these three, these three illustrations I'm gonna give you are a picture of what I see when I see a discipleship environment. Now, the first illustration is this. I want you to picture yourself driving over this hill and coming down onto this large city, and there's a huge harbor in the city. And it's a harbor for deep water vessels, deep ocean-going vessels. And on the one side of the harbor, there is this passenger terminal that, where, where, where all the passenger ships dock. On the other side of the harbor, there's a military naval base where the battleships dock. And on each, either side of this harbor, there is one ship on the one side of the harbor called P&O Passenger Cruise Liner Lifehouse. And on the other side of the harbor, there's an HMS Battleship Lifehouse. Now, the thing that I want you to meditate on is that these two ships have so much in common they have so much in common. It's unbelievable. They're both ships. They both sail on the ocean. Now remember, the Bible depicts an ocean or a sea as humanity. So both of them go out onto the sea of humanity. Both of them have mission. Walk onto that ship and you'll find the mission being promoted. You'll be finding the vision being promoted. You'll be finding the purpose of the ship being promoted the values of the ship. Both of them serve people. Both of them feed people on board. Both of them minister to people's needs on board the ship. Both of them visit foreign ports. And both of those ships will offer you the adventure of a lifetime. But to get onto the one, you need costume, Hawaiian shirt, sunnies, sunscreen, and a deck chair. To get on the other, you need battle dress, you need your military kit and you need a warrior's mentality. Very similar. My second illustration is politics. Who says you can't mix religion and politics? 
<laughs> I've, been, I've been looking forward to give you this illustration for a long time. The difference between a nanny state and a capitalist-orientated state, the difference between an entitlement or an enablement state as an empowerment state, the difference between being served and serving, the difference between having rights and having responsibilities. That's the difference between a nanny state and a capitalist state. Now, here's my personal political views, all right? I have to ram them down your throats just a little, um, just to let you know where I stand on the political spectrum. All right, now in politics, you've got people on the left, you've got people on the right, you've got socialists on the left, you've got conservatives on the right, you've got communists on the left, you've got libertarians on the right, and you've got a whole slew of people in between. They believe up, they believe down, they believe green, they believe pink, they believe this, they believe that, and they believe the other. Now, politics a la David. If all these philosophies have their roots in humanism, I reject them all. That's my political view. If all these philosophies have their roots in humanism, I reject them all. And here's the third picture I want to give you. The first picture is the battleships and the, and the cruise liner. The second picture is the major illustration that I'm going to be using, and that's the nanny state. And the third picture is this, two trees. I want you to picture two trees. I've preached on two trees before, using this as an illustration for you. Go back to that picture. But for those here for the first time, I want you to picture two trees, two trunk systems, two root systems. They are completely separate from each other. And you go and stand under these trees and all the branches are intermingled and you look up into the sky and you will not be able to tell which leaf belongs to which branch or which tree. But if you take one leaf from the one tree and the other leaf from the other tree and you look at them and they are similar on the outside, but the DNA is distinctive to the root. The root of the system is what determines what that leaf or who that leaf belongs to. And so if they have their roots in humanism, they are of their father, the devil. Look for two distinct trees. Look for the two distinct DNA systems. Look for the ladder going to God. Look for the ladder going to Satan. You can only have one or the other. You can't have both. So right wing, left wing, any wing, if you're not from my God, I have nothing to do with you, politically speaking. I have nothing to do with your views because your DNA is of the devil, your father the devil, humanist. So what is my political view? Here it is. I hope, I hope this is a new word. All right? So it comes back to me. I invented a word. I'm a kingdomist. All right? I'm not a communist. I'm not a socialist. I'm not a conservativist. I'm not a capitalist. I'm a kingdomist. I believe in and follow God, creator of heaven and earth, Yahweh El Shaddai. He is my king, he is my God, he is my religion, he is my politics. I am a Bible-believing Christian, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am in the military force of the Lord Jesus Christ called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am on active service, I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I try to follow the laws of the Lord Jesus Christ and the laws of the kingdom as laid down in the Gospels. 
can read them in the Beatitudes. And I specifically try and follow the laws of the kingdom from a biblical, spirit-led mentality and not a religious mentality. And everything I do needs to be saturated and permeated by the DNA of Jesus Christ because he is the branch, he is the tree, and I'm the branch. He is the vine, I'm the branch, or the leaf. Getting that mixed up completely. But you know, you know scripture I'm quoting. So when I look at the government, for me the government is an institution. Its authority comes from God. But people step into this institution with their views based in humanism and so they sway the institution to promote their views. I obey the government, I support the government, I pray the government, I pray for the government, and I pray that we have a good government, but I'm telling you now, I do not support the views of any person who has his root in humanism. So I don't separate religion from politics. I don't separate God from any aspect of my life. Jesus is my God, my Savior. That's my religion. Jesus is my Lord. That's my politics. Jesus' words are my law. That's my kingdoms and social laws. Jesus is my friend and brother. That's my family. Now, hear me now. Many of the systems in operation and promoted by the left and by the right might every now and then sound like what I'm sounding like. But in no way, shape, or form do I endorse their policies because their root is humanism. Now, the essence of this particular sermon, part one five, the essence of this particular sermon is this. An environment is created or an environment is created based on the belief system of the group. Think about that. The belief system of this group creates the environment. Now, that's, that's my, my premise. The point I want to put on top of that is this. You as a Christian have been born again into the kingdom of God. And God has placed with inside of you gifts and abilities and anointing that he wants you to fulfill. I preached a series of sermons on God's diary and appointment for your life. And every single day, God has good works for you to do. And so you've been born into his kingdom with all of this potential. The environment that you are in determines the release of that potential. Okay? Do you see that? The environment you are in determines the release of your potential. So if you, as a disciple, find yourself in an enablement environment, your potential will not be released. If you, as a disciple, find yourself in an empowerment environment, your potential will be released. So let's look at a non-discipling environment and let's look at a discipling environment. Let's go back to politics. The nanny state, big government, welfare state, paternalism, social engineering. In general, whenever you talk about the nanny state in politics, 
or when you talk about the nanny state governing a nation, you talk about a government that enters into virtually every aspect of your life. Now, the European Union has been accused of being a nanny state. I'll give you an example. June 2007, they banned barometers because they had mercury inside. All right? No, no, you, 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 mercury's going to do you damage. So we'll ban barometers. And they were accused of being, and there's so many different areas that they go into people's lives and impinge in people's lives and take away personal accountability, personal responsibility. And they become a, a state of enablement. Greece. Go look at Greece today. All right? Go look at the state of the nation of Greece today, and you'll probably find Greece as a nation is probably number one on a nation that is going to fail in the next couple of months as opposed to all the other nations that are virtually on, on the way through over this cliff. And Greece was brought to its current situation because of the financial global economy downturn and by overspending. And overspending in all of these enablement policies. And so to keep on spending, they needed to borrow money. And the more money they borrowed, the more money they spent, and the more money that got lost, and the more money that got pilfered, and the more money that just disappeared in the cracks, and they borrowed more money, and eventually the moneylenders came to Greece and said, enough. You have to apply austerity measures. So in government circles, austerity means raising taxes and cutting costs, cutting the programs. So what programs did they cut? They cut the programs that were enablement programs. And so they came to all the seniors and said, you will not be able to retire at 60 anymore. You're going to have to retire at 65. And your pension will be reduced. And, and, and taxes are going to go up here and all these welfare programs are going to be cut there. And so you young ladies are going to get pregnant and get $5,000 given to you. No more. And what are the ladies that are going to have all the, you know, the two months due? They're going to be due in two months. I'm not going to get $5,000 anymore. I got, I got pregnant for that $5,000. No, not austerity measures. What are they going to say? And so development gets cut. Development projects, welfare projects, social spending gets cut. Taxes go up. Transportation goes up. And so what happens is when you start bringing austerity measures into that situation, the, the, the living conditions start to go down and people start to get upset because an enablement is their right. But this is my right. This is what you as a government has guaranteed me. I put you in government to guarantee me this. And the result in Greece was upheaval, riots, which just adds as a catalyst fuel to the fire to, to the downturn that the Greek people are feeling right now. I believe, or I've come to believe, that a disciple can only survive in a disciple-orientated environment. Remember at the beginning of the message I said to you, go figure. Most church leaders want to make disciples. 
Most church leaders will come into a church situation and begin to transform the environment from enablement to empowerment. And what happens? Conflict. Most believers who get touched by the Holy Spirit and walk back into their environment that is an enablement environment and says the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, we need to go out now and reach people. And, and, and whoa, no. Why is that near impossible? The picture in the physical often portrays what takes place in the spiritual. So the patterns that you see laid out here in the, in the physical will often reflect and give you patterns of what takes place in the spiritual. And this is what I'm trying to do with my three illustrations. A disciple will walk into an enablement church, an entitlement church, a rights-driven church, and will begin to implement austerity measures, which is change, and some of the people are going to be happy, some of the people are going to be comfortable, and some of the people are going to say, hey, no, we're not going to have this. I believe Lifehouse is an empowerment environment. One of the reasons I believe that is I can walk around here and outright challenge people to their faces and say, hey, you're in a no excuse zone. Have you heard that before? <laughs> Just a little. I can walk around and people will not get shock horror. How can you say that to me, pastor? <gasps> And I can walk up to you and say, Matthew 22 is the law of the kingdom. You are in the no excuse zone. And they will say, amen, yes. I will be able to walk up to a believer in Lifehouse Church and say, Matthew 28, you are in the no excuse zone. Go and make a disciple. And they'll get terrified, but they'll go eventually. Because <laughs> they're in the no excuse zone. You see, the no excuse zone, the empowerment environment has no personal rights. It has personal responsibilities. A discipleship environment is entitlement free. If you take a disciple and put them into an enablement environment, one of two things are going to take place. One, that disciple will explode that environment, or two, that disciple will succumb to the rights mentality. So the question you've got to ask yourself is how do you recognize the actual environment? Remember the two ships, they both go out in the sea. They both serve people. They both got vision. They both got mission. They both got purpose. They both feed people. They go, both visit foreign ports. And they both offer an adventure of the lifetime. So how on earth do you tell the difference? Here's another question. When you find the right ship, what do you do? Movement from entitlement to empowerment is change. And that movement is infused with conflict. Movement from empowerment to entitlement is change. And that movement is infused by rights. So how do you find the right environment 
to be birthed, to be trained, and to be released. Here's a definition of empowerment. Empowerment refers to the increasing, increasing the spiritual, political, social, or economic strength of individuals and communities. It often involves the empowered development, the empowered developing confidence in their own capabilities. Increasing spiritual strength of the individual and of the community. All right? If you go into an environment, you will start to realize that when you start talking to people, these people are, are self-aware of who they are. Now, when you find an environment like this, I have to give you this warning, all right? So here's my warning. I need to have, a, Ben, we need to organize one of those sirens, lights flicker. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Here's your warning. I gave this warning to the men at boot camp. I got a word from the Lord that what was going to take in at this last boot camp. And these were the words the Lord gave me. He says, shift, shock, advancement. You come from an enablement environment into an empowerment environment, the Lord's going to shift you. Then you are going to get shocked. But that's my right. No. No rights. Duty. Can't I sit on this deck check here? Deck check out here? Deck chair out here? No. You need to scrub the deck out here. <laughs> and then advancement. That shock is training for advancement. Increase spiritual strength. All right. I'm going to give you two things to look for. You want to find the right environment, I'm going to give you two things to look for. The first thing you need to look for, if you're going into an environment and you want to identify whether this is the P&O cruise ship, Lifehouse, or whether this is HMS Battleship, Lifehouse, is to look at the leaders. Moi and company. Now, don't just look at the senior leaders. Don't look, look at the senior pastor. Look at all branches of leadership. Look to the church council, led by... Look to the leaders, minister, the ministry leaders. Look to them, and I, this is why you need to look at the leaders. First of all, to create a discipleship environment, you need apostolic wisdom. Okay? That apostolic wisdom needs to permeate the very nature, the very structure, and the lifestyle of the ministry of the church. So every seed that gets sown needs to be watered by the same water. And so how I talk needs to be how my chairman of the board talks. Needs to be how the worship leader talks, how the cell leader talks, how this one talks, how that one talks. And they all need to be talking the same apostolic wisdom. Because if one of them are not talking the same, then the change is temporary. 
You see, you cannot bring the P&O cruise ship into the dry dock and refit it for battle. Because it will put you in danger because it's not a battleship. It's not built to be a battleship. It doesn't have the armor of the battleship. It doesn't have the range of the battleship. It doesn't have the mentality of the battleship. It doesn't have the structure of the battleship. And if your leaders are talking and some of them are different and they don't have that apostolic wisdom permeating through every branch of leadership, then you need to know, whoa, something's wrong here. The change will be temporary. So that's the first thing you need to look at. Go look at the leaders. Talk to the leaders. Examine the leaders. In an empowerment environment, you will find a transparency there that you will not find in an enablement environment. Because here, these guys want you to stand up in your own strength, activate your ministry gifts, and send you out. These ones want you to sit on the deck and take a tan while they run the ship. Look at the leaders. Number two. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this. Listen carefully. It is not a blessing model. All right? It is not a blessing model. You're not going to be able to walk into an empowerment environment and be patted on the head and bless you, my child. Praise God. Just go and sit there in that pile and, and we'll do everything for you. Visitors. Abraham, when he, when he, when he, when he left Ur of the Chaldees, went up into Canaan and he... And he and he stayed at Ai, and he stayed in Bethel. And, he, and, and Ai means a pile of stones. Bethel is significant because it means an assembled house of God. So Abraham was going around looking for a, for a city whose builder was God. An empowerment environment manifests Ephesians 4.16 where everyone is fitted together so that all may produce and work together as one for the purposes of God. So the first thing you look for when you walk into an, an, an empowerment environment is look to the leaders, talk to the leaders. See what the heartbeat of the leaders is. See if there's apostolic wisdom being manifested. Secondly, it's not a blessing model. Don't come into an enablement, empowerment environment and think you are going to be comfortable. You are going to be placed. And if you resist the placement, you will feel out. Number three, Look for the fivefold strategy in everything that that enablement environment does, and especially look for the prophets and the apostles, because the foundation of the church is on the apostle and prophet, and we need divine wisdom and ratification through the prophets and the apostles of what God is doing. 
Because an enablement, an empowerment environment is developed by God. Number four, it is Christ-centric. Everything is about Jesus. Everything is about the vision of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, the values of Jesus, and Jesus permeates that whole church. So the first thing you do is you look to the leaders. The second thing you do is look to the members. All right, look to the members. Now, for those of you who are new here, I, I teach the people here how to look at each other without being noticed, okay? So what you do is you just lower your eyes a little bit and then just look at the corner of your eye at the person next to you. Just look at that person. Can you see that person there? All right, you got them. They're not, they don't know you're looking at them. Don't worry. All right? Now you walk into an empowerment environment and you have a look at them. Okay? You see... The disciple sitting next to you needs to be a breakthrough disciple. All right? You can't have someone in a Hawaiian shirt, costume, sunnies, strutting around a battleship. He needs to be, she needs to be a breakthrough disciple. A discipleship environment is built on breakthrough believers and breakthrough leaders. Look at them. Talk to them. Ask yourself the question, what is the mentality of the person sitting next to me in this church? Is their mentality enablement to be served, full of rights, or is their, or is their mentality empowerment to serve and responsibility. I'm going to finish off with 31 points. I'm serious. <laughs> These 31 points actually lead me into my next sermon series. So don't, do come along. It's, you know, it's not going to be 31 point long. I'll do it now. All right, this is controversial. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with 31 points, but this is controversial. Is my opinion. An enablement disciple or a believer and an empowerment disciple or believer will never get along. Never going to happen. It is never going to happen. So, when you close your eyes a little bit and you look to the person next to you, just give them that, what are you all about? Here are 31 points that you can checklist them. Point number one, that person will grow in adversary, adversity and persecution and produce new life. There'll always be new life around that person. Number two, they are always pioneers sent ahead to create the new move of God. Number three, they will be able to face down religious persecution and systems and defeat them. Number four, they're excellent role models. They understand legacy and they understand parenthood in the spirit. Number five, they are sown under incredible pressure. 
Number six, persecution produces quality in these people because these people have been persecuted. They're no chocolate soldiers here. They're not going to just melt when you look at them. They're going <laughs> to, they are soldiers. Crowd pressure, number seven, will never prevent them from becoming high achievers in Christ. So when the majority want to be rights orientated, these guys are going to say, hell no. Number eight, they will flee the places of popularity. All right, where, where, where it's cool to be popular, where it's cool to go and popular. I've got young people here that have done that. This week, I've actually spoken to a young man that has, that has had that choice thrown before him. And he severed a relationship with a girl because of that choice. Or she severed it with him. She gave him an ultimatum. He fled the place of popularity. Number nine, obedience to Christ today is more important to them than what they did yesterday. And so these guys don't rest on their laurels. Number 10, breakthrough believers are constantly guided to rise above the self, flesh, sin, and demonic forces. This is one you can see pretty quickly. This is, if, if, if you're battling to try and find out whether these guys are this, that, or the other, this is an easy one to pick out. Listen to how they talk. Listen to how they talk about their lifestyle. You know, you, when, you, when you begin to listen to these guys, it sometimes sounds like they're radical. They're always talking about battle. They're always talking about dealing with issues. Easy one to pick up. They retain the biblical standard of truth in their lives, and there's absolutely no compromise. That's why I say to, to you that enablement and empowerment just don't mix. They, practice, they, they are practicing believers, not hearers. So you will actually see them trying to implement the word of God. They stay true to their convictions despite pressure. They leave the comfortable. They leave Ur of the Chaldees and, they, and, and, and by the word of the Lord, they travel to Canaan. They travel to the heavenly place. The purposes of God in them remain the same. So when you go in and you see a variety of them, some you're going to see them are young and wonderful and beautiful and some they're going to be a bit old and haggard. And, you know, but the vision, the purposes will always be the same. You talk to an old one, and the same fire will burn in his eyes or her eyes as the fire that burns in the youngster's eyes. That doesn't change. The vessel changes, and that doesn't change. 16, with their personal growth will come a progressive revelation from God. You will see that they live in current-day truth. They believe in present-day truths, and they continue to learn to become more and more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They will always be led to the Holy Spirit, by, by the Holy Spirit, to break through any limitation that they come across in their own lives, in circumstances, in surrounding, in other people's lives. Number 19, they, they are taught to hear God's voice and they obey it. 20, they become people who are progressively perceptive to God's overall plan. This is another easy one to pick out. Go and talk to them about God's vision. And they suddenly you start listening to big picture stories there and you think, whoa. Wow, you're going to change the world? Yeah, they are. Where am I? That was 20. 21, they know it is only the truth, Jesus, that sets people free. 
22, they are able to advance under delegated authority, God's delegated authority. They understand authority. Number 23, they understand the power of mutual submission to one another, Matthew chapter 8. They understand and live Matthew 8. They understand how to come under the hand of God and how it is essential to have God's hand upon them in every aspect of their life. 25, they listen to God's plan and purpose for every situation. You start thinking, geez, these guys are weird. Why are they just asking God about everything? They do because they learn to walk step by step with the Lord. For these people, function is more important than position. All right? This is an easy one to recognize. This is another easy one to recognize. Number 27. When you talk to these people about vision, their vision goes beyond themselves, beyond their family, and beyond their local church. Listen to how they talk. Their vision is about their city, their nation, and the world. They're global Christians. They think in terms of us and them and not me and mine. Very easy one to pick up. 28. Their heartbeat is to instill life change in unbelievers. Not to get someone born again and you producing some anemic, emotionally wishy-washy driven Christian that is totally dependent in an enablement environment. 29, they are parent leaders. They create sons and daughters. Here's a key factor. When you walk into such an environment, try not to look at chronological age. Enablement is chronological age. Empowerment, don't look at the chronological age. Look at intimacy with Jesus. 30, they equip and multiply themselves into people. All right, they'll always be talking about the people they're speaking into. And now the last one, 31. They know it takes one life to change another. Now, if you want those characteristics, you can go and download them on the iTunes and you can make a checklist, and when you want to find an environment, just go and look at the person and start talking to them. You know, don't hold the checklist up in their face. You know, say, oh, I'm checking you out now. Uh, you know, do you grow in adversity? <laughs> okay, I'm going to end off there. Next week, part two, training. How do you find an environment? Look at the leader, look at the people. Get your checklist out. Speak to the Lord.